Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film Table 19. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast as we talk about a whole bunch of other stuff, but if you do proceed, just be aware that the plot of Table 19 will be spoiled for you. Enjoy. Hello there. Good evening. How are you? Not too bad, man. Not too bad. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. I was going to begin by giving you a little bit more of the... (laughs) But I didn't have the guitar (laughs) poised, so that's what I've done it That would have been amazing. (laughs) There's a what now? There There is a cat running around. I'm home alone, so I've had to bring my recording stuff downstairs so the cat's not left on its own. Yeah, um, and like Macaulay Culkin. Exactly, yeah, just Mac- like Macaulay, Macaulay Katkin, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she was very, very sleepy up until about five minutes ago, and now she's sprung into life. She clearly decided, right, podcast's about to start. Let's go and attack some stuff. Yeah, that's how it works. Cats wait until you're doing something and then they jump in yes yeah exactly Um, and then when you want them to sleep they (laughs) don't want to know oh yeah no for sure for certain for certain although they're not as bad as hamsters in that regard have we discussed hamsters before on the podcast i don't don't think so no i hate hamsters They they are the worst they are terrible pets because they they are nocturnal so when you want them to be awake and to like to be around for you to pick them up they just like they sleep in the corner and then when you try and pick them up they bite you and they're livid and then just as soon as you go to bed they get up and start running around in their wheels and making horrible noise all night they're useless (laughs) they're the worst see i had i had good luck with hamsters when i was a kid did Um, you yeah, in that I had a couple of very affectionate hamsters, so they were quite good pets. Hmm. Were they? Yeah, yeah, they were nice. They're nice hamsters. Um, were they affectionate during the day? Yeah, yeah, they were fine. Hmm. They, they were quite sleepy, obviously, but when I took them out, they were nice and affectionate. And then, yeah, they but- were they were very active at night, but like you said, it's because they're nocturnal, which is like cats, really. Yeah, I think Minnie is at her most manic as we're going to bed. Is she a crepuscular hunter? <laughs> well, she she can't go out yet, but I imagine that when she can, we're going to have lots of dead things lying around outside. Is our that because she's not old enough to get into the clubs yet? Yeah, she's not. She's not got her fake cat ID yet, so she wouldn't be able to get into an Oceana. Yeah, um, there's plenty of time for that dance floor. Yeah, yeah. Is Oceana still a thing? The one in Kingston that was there for a long time and was a, you know, a real mainstay of the Kingston club scene is now called Prism, spelt P-R-Y-Z-M. Yeah, that happened with um, that happened with the one in Brighton as well. That's now a Prism. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure whether Oceana is still a thing or not. Um, 
It looks like there's one in Southampton. Okay, cool. But now OceanaClubs.com seems to redirect just to OceanaClubs.com Southampton. Okay, so they've got one left. One still going strong. And it is one that I've actually been to. I've been to the Oceana Southampton. How did you end up there? (laughs) For a series of misfortunes. (laughs) A series of unfortunate events. Yes. (laughs) By Roberty Snicket. (laughs) Oh, here we... Oceana, also known as The Ocean, is a chain of nightclubs in the United Kingdom. There is now only one remaining nightclub in Southampton. Oh, yeah, they've all been transferred over to Prism. Hmm. Which sounds like some very, very bad synth-pop band. An imitator of churches. Yeah. Equally with a stupid name. (laughs) Chiverches. Yes. Yeah, I, I quite like churches. No, um, I think it's I think it's cool. It's it's for SEO reasons, yes. which in this day and age you can't really not do. So fair play to them. But no, I think their music's very good. Although I don't think they've managed to yet recapture the energy of their first album, but it remains to be seen. I'm in terms of that kind of music, I'm more of a ha- uh, of a fan of Purity Ring, though I think yeah. does it better and utilizes that kind of very light witch house sound better. Um I'm a really big fan of them, but they're they're good. I think I'm just bitter because I wanted more Aerogram or um, Unwinding yeah. Hours, which were both tied to Churches, but Churches obviously got massive. Yeah. Um, whereas the Unwinding Hours, I think, is one of my favourite bands ever, and I'm very sad that we only got two albums out of them. Yeah, because the one guy in Churches was in those bands, yeah, and the other guy was in the Twilight Sad, who were very very different to all of those aforementioned bands. Yeah, straight up hardcore drum and bass. Yeah. <laughs> the the kind of stuff you'd hear in the big room at Oceana rather yeah, than the, the the little room with the light up floor where they played cheesy music. Cuz cuz Oceana I, I had go. had the various themed rooms. So it had the big room of all the fake ice. Yeah. The, the big ice room. The the Fortress of Solitude, Superman's Fortress of Solitude. <laughs> Um, but full of chavs and drum and bass. Um, then there was the the 80s pop room with the light-up floor, which was obviously the best room, particularly when nobody yep. wanted to go in it. Um, Absolutely often, the often, best. You, often you'd go and there'd be no one in there because everyone was like, mate, I want to go listen to the drum and bass room. That's where all the cool music is. What's this shit in here? Um, and then there was like all of the random little, like the Parisian boudoir room. And, yeah, uh, and the ski, ski lodge room. <laughs> I, if I, one day I did go in there and take a book into the ski lodge, but mostly because I used to work in the pub that was opposite the Oceana, and often they'd let us go in there after we'd finished our shift at the pub. So yeah, one time I just took a book and sat down in the ski lodge. I mean, it was like a, a Wednesday night, so not a big night. I always wanted to go in there in full ski gear and be like, yeah. oh cold out there today eh or just or just walk in with a dead deer and be like good haul tonight lads good haul yeah. tonight <laughs> yeah we're gonna eat like kings tonight <laughs> hey raul take this into the kitchen <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why the guy the guy who would be there and stuff is named raul but hey it works 
got a chuckle. Yeah. yeah. It's the name that is used in the Peter Serafinowicz show where he portrays, he portrays Jeremy Clarkson as a gay man in love with his life partner, Raul, who's always on set posing around in, the, in their gay top gear. And it's very, very good because you know that Clarkson probably has seen it and threw up and hates it and hates himself. The the Top Gear folk are prime for British comedians to make fun of. Because I'll always remember the Stuart Lee bit about yeah. Top Gear. It's one of my favourite Stuart Lee moments. It's um, just a joke, like on Top Gear. <laughs> Come on, Richard Hammond, kick this tramp to death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you haven't seen that, it's very, very good. Stuart Lee... I think Stuart Lee divides people quite a lot, but I am a huge, huge fan. And I think that actually he, some people think he's overrated and he's pretentious, but I think he walks the line just about right for me. Like he does enough kind of messing around with the art form of comedy without trying to claim that he's some kind of massive innovator and does these really, really good long ranty routines about political stuff without it being, it seeming overly like overtly trying to push one political message. It's, it's genuinely very, very good satire. And he's someone who really, really, I think, gets the craft of stand-up in a very rare way. But the Top Gear rant is really exceptional. I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, you're totally right about that, in that a lot of people complain about him being sort of like a pompous left-wing like comedian man. But his comedy is so dry and wonderful that like he he's in a different bracket to everybody else i think he's to be able to be one of the great comedians you have to do something that no one else is doing and that's exactly what he does there's no one else quite like him yeah um which is why it works so well definitely i think i'm thinking of about five or six different bits of his that i'd like to put in the show notes but that's probably for another podcast but his <laughs> His one about his UKIP rant is really good. It's yeah. a few years old now, but it's really still captures the sentiment of the Brexit, the Brexiteers, or the gammon as they're now known. <laughs> it's one of like I, I follow the guy who helped coin the term gammons um, on Twitter. And, is that that heartbeats? Yeah, yeah. He is um, very funny, and it's so true. And what I love most about it is that people get so angry about being called gammons, so much so that these. <laughs> these absolute ignoramai with about as much sort of like knowledge and sort of like self-respect as a shrimp uh, are claiming that it's uh it's a racist attack to call someone a gammon <laughs> yeah i think uh, yeah i think that guy originated that term, but I'm sure before then, a number of years ago, someone, it might have been Charlie Brooker who called David Cameron a sentient ham. And I think it has its origins, <laughs> <laughs> has its origins in that. Oh, oh dear. It's, yeah. These people, they, they make me so mad, yet make me laugh so much. Yep. That's, that's the gammon problem. <laughs> the dialectic of the gammon. The gammon effect. Oh, sentient ham. Still, it's probably he's probably more sentient than some of the characters in the film Table 19, am I right? <laughs> so, Paddy, is this not your film of the year, 2017? 
2017 yeah i need to go back and get rid of you know the last jedi and all of the very very good films that came out last year and yeah table 19 is retroactively my film of 2017 because you know it's it's wedding themed i had a wedding so you know that's enough that's all i need but i realized after um after you suggested it um i mentioned it to my wife, Claire, and she said, oh, no, I watched that on the plane. It was terrible. I went, oh, oh, dear. And then I remembered <laughs> I remembered watching her watching it on... It was on the plane when we were on the on our honeymoon um, to Hawaii, and she was sat next to me watching it, and I find it really hard to watch films on planes if someone either side of me is watching a film. Do you find that? No, I kind of just do it. I've only been on like, a flight where I can watch something a couple of times because I... I'm generally Europe-based when I go abroad. You're um, a uh, Ramona. For yeah, sure. I, I'm a I'm a pure Ramona so much so a that Romaniac. I hate I hate the rest of the world and love Europe so much that I refuse to leave Europe. Um, yeah. You can take you can take your Africa and your Asia and your Antarctica, <laughs> and you can get rid of it. We don't need you. All we need is a European Union. Yeah. Um, that that's how much I believe in 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 remain. <laughs> but you know, luckily the Earth is flat. So what we could do is, when Elon Musk is done fucking about in space, um, we can get all his money towards like building a giant, kind of like a big giant um, icebreaker type ship that can push all the other continents off the edge of the flat Earth, so that we've just got Europe left. I'd I'd get on board with that. I think the gammon would go for it. They well, as long as that was part one of the plan, and then part two was just the United Kingdom, and then England, and then Kent, which seems to be where <laughs> all of the gammon are based. <laughs> yep, they're all they're all from Kent. You'll notice that the angriest of the gammons come from areas where there is no diversity of heritage. Um, yep. the, the people whose only interactions with someone from Europe or even further away than Europe is when they go to Calais to do a booze cruise. Yeah. Um, that, that is the closest they get. Even then, they're in like the... They've crossed over to Calais. They've got in the Hypermarché. They've, they've got all their... They're like loads of crates of horrible stubby beer. And they're like... You know, not that I mind a stubby beer, because this weekend I was drinking many a stubby beer with friend of the podcast Samuel C. Williams, and it was good. But, yeah, they've got all their crates of stubby beer, and they go up to the counter, and they're like, here's here's the beers and stuff, and they're like, you know, speaking French to them, and he's like, what? You're speaking French to me? How dare you? And then he says something in a cod French accent, and they all laugh racistly. That's how it works. That is exactly how it works um the people who think that pizza express is foreign cuisine they're the uh, they're the real troopers of the united kingdom they're the people yeah. whose opinions we must respect um wait until they find out about upper crust <laughs> <laughs> i was um i was thinking about um about the idea of how uh, and I think we mentioned it on the last episode of the podcast. If not, it was the episode before about the idea that, you know, you've got to listen to both sides and both sides are entirely valid. Um, and I realized that this, this was perfectly encapsulated, but I don't know if you've ever watched Rick and Morty, Paddy. 
I have not seen the Richard and Mortimer television program. Oh. I have meant I have meant to for some time. Um, a lot of people have been telling me to watch it for quite a long time, but I feel like now it's possibly too late because it's very very popular and seems to have a legion of angry fanboys. Because you know, obviously, they had the the whole source thing. Um, so I don't know. I'm a bit reluctant to watch it now. Well, I I only watched it recently for the first time, and I think if you go by the we can't watch anything if it has an ha- angry fandom behind it, you would literally not be able to do anything because nowadays everything <laughs> has an awful group of fans behind it. Literally, they definitely every, enjoy Star Wars, which I love. Literally, every single thing has an awful fandom behind it now. The people are awful. People who identify themselves by liking something are awful. Everyone should but, hate everything and hate everyone else. That's the only way to get by. You're talking about, well, you're talking to a, a man who is a huge baseball fan, a sport in which a team called the Cleveland Indians in this the year of our Lord 2018, still called the Cleveland Indians, say they have no plans to change the name, have just decided to get rid of their racist logo of a caricature of a Native American man. And all of the fans are crying and whining and complaining about it and saying it's censorship and all the the usual fucking nonsense. And that's what, you know, a lot of baseball fans are like. It's the worst. People are the worst. Fans of things are the worst. Why do you like things? Stop liking things. Go away. I, I think the Cleveland Indians should be allowed to keep their name, but only if they change their logo to Ganesh. <laughs> yeah, if they if they make it like actual stuff from actual India. Yeah, rather rather than an offensive term for a Native American person. Yeah, your move, Cleveland. I'm talking about <laughs> Cleveland as a city here. <laughs> yeah, every, every citizen of Cleveland. It's on you, buddy. Yeah, you got to make a decision. You got to make this happen. You either change your name or you become an entire Indian-themed city. Yeah, one thing or the other. Yeah, that's it. That's all you have. Um, But yeah, Rick and Morty is is really funny. I went into it a bit sceptical because I'd heard a lot of people saying it was good. And I'm generally like, "Mm, if people say it's good... I'm not sure how good it's going to be, but it is very, very funny. And and there's this one little bit in it where um, where Rick, the the super genius uh, scientist, is like, I wanted to create a perfect leader by taking the most extreme sides of each argument to create a wonderful centrist person. Um, but he ends up creating a character called Abradolf Linkler, uh, <laughs> combining yeah adolf hitler and abraham lincoln and he's just an asshole i think it's just the best way to describe him who nobody likes and i often whenever i see sort of like those kind of centrist arguments where it's like oh you've got to listen to both sides i just think that behind every single anonymous twitter user that uses that kind of argument it's just abradolf linkler every single time yeah just centrist has, has managed to has managed to get onto twitter yeah. people who you know acknowledge that the Tories are horrible and are doing horrible things and are shafting the poor and vulnerable, but still trust Theresa May more on the economy than it than Jeremy Corbyn. You know, it's people who have that kind of false equivalence, you know. Yeah. We got we gotta trust the Tories of the economy because they are good at the economy. In yeah. spite of the, the fact the, that historically <laughs> they have not been good at the economy either. Yeah. They're um, so competent that the pound is doing really, really well right now. I don't know if you know, but it's like really, really up against all the other currencies because I mean, they're so competent. I mean, Paddy, it's almost as if a lot of the economy of the world 
is not controlled by governments themselves, but instead by the state of capitalism. Yeah. It's almost as if um, independent nations can do very little to control the overall swing of the economy and instead just control the minor aspects of it that impact on their society's lives. It's almost as yeah. if it's that. But I mean, I must be <laughs> wrong. I must be wrong about that because the Daily Mail says so. Yeah, yeah. It's almost as if the whole like thing about, you know, markets like being a force for good or like having a really, really good invisible hand that makes things work out work out. It's almost as if that's like not true. <laughs> you wait, know, I don't wait, want to question on, a Paddy. fundamental truth. Hold on, Paddy. I don't want In to a blow moment, your you're, mind. <laughs> you're going to possibly suggest that capitalism is not always the best thing in the world. And I will not stand for that on this podcast. Well, no, we obviously are, we are that's firm a fundamental believers in, in the trickle-down economics that made this world great. Because yeah. everyone knows that when rich people have lots of money, it definitely always trickles down to the poorest in society. And that's how it works. And businesses are renowned for putting the well-being of society as a whole first and foremost. Yeah, well, they're they're wealth creators, aren't it, they? It, it's we not need, as if we need uh, them to create wealth. It's not as if a bunch of um, companies and a bunch of CEOs got together with um, the U.S. military and tried to overthrow FDR or anything. Um, that that never that never happened. There was never a that, failed coup in America because they didn't that like didn't his left-wing policies. Fake news. Fake news. Um, yeah, capitalism rules. Everything else is yeah. rubbish. Without capitalism, we wouldn't have had such wonderful films as Table 19. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I, I realised that I I had half seen this whilst... Basically, when, when I find that if someone's watching a film next to me on a plane, I find it really hard not to look at it because it's very, very close to you. And you have your own screen in front of you, and okay, you could be watching that, but I find it really distracting. Um so I, I don't tend to watch films on planes. I tend to read instead. Um, but I still get distracted by films. So Claire was watching this film. I was reading A Confederacy of Dunces by John Kennedy Toole, which is a wonderful book. Have you read it? I have not, no. You should. It's very, very funny. Um, even though some of the... Yeah, it's it's a very bizarre but awesome book. Um and it was enjoyable, but I was distracted by this film. And I remember thinking, oh, there's Anna Kendrick. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's there's that strange Pan Man guy who I now know is Kurt, Ru- um, Kurt Russell's son um, and a former hockey player. Oh, there's some other guy. And now he's in the other wedding and there's a mariachi band. Now there's, like, the grandma's taking her wig off and now they're sitting by they're sitting by the lake. Why aren't they at the wedding? Stephen Merchant's there wearing big nerd glasses because he always plays a big nerd. Um... Daryl from The Office is there. Him and Lisa Kudrow are having a nice conversation. They're back in the thing. There's a boat. That's it. So, you know, when you've kind of... You've gotten all of the key details of a film, but none of the key details of the film all at the same time because you've been kind of in and out. So it was coming back to me, weirdly, while I watched it. But whether I had seen it or not, I still don't think it would have improved or changed my experience of it at all because I didn't like it that much. What did you think? I... I found it was interesting but messy. I wanted... Well, I'm not really sure what I wanted. There was something off about it. Um, So I thought the general premise was quite interesting. But it was in two minds as to whether it went down a sort of mumblecore route 
or it went down like a farcical comedy. Like I think if this had gone down like a a um, bridesmaids route of just extreme stupidity with like moments of heartfelt interest, um, it would have been really funny. And I think there was some real potential there for it to be really really funny. Um, equally, if it had gone down a Richard Linklater route, Richard Linklater does a wedding <laughs> movie. A main um, man, Richard Linklater. Yeah, who I think we'll refer to for every single movie that we watch from now on um, as, a, as a point of reference. Um, and, and if it really sort of focused purely on the character relationships and them going, oh, fuck this wedding, let's go off and do something else, that would have yeah. been interesting. But it kind of got stuck in the middle and didn't really do enough of the characters that were there to keep it engaging. I totally agree. It had clowns to the left of it, jokers to the right, and it was stuck right in the middle of some nonsense. It was like, yeah, it just, it felt like someone had made a bunch, had come up with a fil- an idea for a film, made a bunch of like quite sketchy notes about all of the different things that could happen and not really refined it into a proper story. And then rather than refining it, they just made a film from the sketch notes rather than actually having a proper script. Does that make sense? I kind of suspect that might be what happened because um, it was a a story written by J.M. Mark Duplass. Yeah. um, Who Who I I like very much. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I've seen quite a few of their films and I'm I'm a bit of a fan. I don't think I've seen, I haven't seen everything that they've done, but I've mostly enjoyed their work. Have you seen the puffy chair? Yeah, I I think, um, I, I've seen quite a lot with Mark in. Um, he's in that really good movie that was released a few years ago um, called Safety Not Guaranteed. Oh, yeah. Which was really, That's great. Which is a really good film. Um, really in, good premise as well, isn't it? Where the there's an ad in the paper for someone to go on a time travel mission. And it's like, is it serious? Is it not? Yeah. Um, and he was in... Um, he was in the puffy chair, which is one of those sort of like core mumblecore movies. Some um, some scholars of mumblecore believe it is the very first mumblecore film. Oh, really? Yeah. Ah. The the film that if you if you're a bit of a purist, you could say that it invented the genre. Oh, there we go. Um, and he's also in Creep. Have you seen Creep? I have not. Creep it shares is... its name with a Radiohead song. I can't watch that. He is a creep, and he is a weirdo. What the <laughs> hell is he doing there? Does he belong there? Um, it is a a very interesting little horror comedy thing that is one of those few movies that uses the found footage subgenre well. And I think I can count on my hand the number of films that use found footage in an interesting way. Um, and Creep does it perfectly. So it's all about this guy who gets hired, I think, via Craigslist um, to come and record this guy, do a video about him um and i don't want to say more than that because you should watch it it's a really effective little movie um and yeah it's it's great cool. it's a it's a great little film um but yeah so so in terms of like found footage movies that work you've got blair witch project um see i was even a little bit bored by the blair witch project but i think that's part of the power of it is that if if they did just find all this footage in the woods and hastily edit it together to show a documentary about these people who get killed by a witch or whatever it is in the woods, a lot of it would be boring. 
and i think that's where a lot of i think that's where a lot of found footage movies fall down is that they feel like they've Hmm. got to hit the same jump scare notes as a traditional movie whereas instead it should be focusing on doing something entirely different and kind of jumping through that immersion barrier that traditional horror films don't yeah. Um, and, and that's what I find quite interesting about the Blair Witch Project is that it does feel as though it's a bunch of people who get lost in the woods and killed by a monster. But yeah, um, I guess you're right. With farm footage, I think it walks. It has to walk a very, very fine line between realism and just being boring. Yeah, and, and, and like you've got to be a very special movie to be able to get away with not doing something with it. So Wreck and Wreck 2 are two very good found footage movies. Uh, these Spanish horror films about a zombie outbreak, which are great. And they and they feel like a normal movie. They could be filmed like a standard film and the story elements would still hit the same beats. But it's done in such an effective manner that it doesn't really matter. Um, but apart from that, you've got, you've got Creep, you've got The Blair Witch Project, you've got The Last Broadcast. And I'd say The Tunnel is this Australian movie that kind of does a mockumentary type thing. And there's a few that do this found footage slash mockumentary where it's framed around being like a, like a, like an actual documentary about real world events where afterwards they clearly put it together and edited it with like talking heads and things like that. Cause otherwise you're thinking like, how did they edit this afterwards? You know, who took the time, who took the time to find this tape of all these people dying and then edit it together and put a creepy score behind it and <laughs> then expect us to believe that it's not a fake film. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it, you've, yeah, so th- there's ways to make found footage movies effective, but most people just make a traditional horror movie and it's cheaper to do it found footage than it is to use effective lighting and multiple camera angles and things like that. Um, yeah. but, but Creep there are a lot is one of, of pitfalls. Those, yeah, that Creep is one of those movies that uses the subgenre well. Um, so he's got a lot of he's got a lot of interesting projects behind him, as does his brother. But I kind of think like maybe they wrote a little story about this, and then along with one of their friends, and then they were like, "Yeah, hey, yeah, let's just make a movie out of it." Yeah, and it's it's never. I mean, I did a little bit of background research, but not too much. But it wasn't clear at all how it ended up with them coming up with the story and then someone else developing that. Which, if that ever happens, it never really seems to be much of a success, does it? If you see a film being oh from a story by such and such, um, but developed by such and such, like maybe it was took too long to develop or didn't quite get done properly or their their idea i'm sure was very very solid but then it was executed very very poorly is the impression that i got well i it may well be that their initial idea wasn't that good either yeah um (laughs) it's because because i don't know there's stuff in here that could be really cool and there's a lot of stuff in there that could be really cool but it's not and yeah i mean i i quite liked it I, I enjoy movies with interesting concepts and like fair play if you have an interesting concept, but there's a lot of misses here. Um, it started very promisingly. I thought I really liked the title sequence and the opening, um, crying and then jaunty music and then burning the wedding invite. All of that stuff was really, really good. And it just seemed to very, very slowly, gradually lose itself in focusing on each character in turn at the expense of a genuinely engaging plot for any of them really it tried to do too many things at once yeah and that's the problem because each of them they've got something interesting behind them 
I think. And, and there's, there's a little something with each of them. You're like, oh, okay, I wonder what's that going to be. But then it immediately is just like, this is the thing. We're not going to delve into it anymore, and we're going to tell you immediately, this is the thing that's going on with them. And I think the only ones that really varied on that are Anna Kendrick, where you learn a little bit more about what's going on in her life sort of throughout the film. But then that kind of stops about halfway through. Um, and then uh, Daryl and Lisa Kudrow. Yeah. Where you kind of... Then there's sort of like a couple of story beats to their plot, but they kind of jump very very sort of... There's There's nothing in between them. It's kind of like, this is the thing, and then this is the thing. 45 minutes later yeah and it was more it seemed like the the way they went about creating a plot was a was based on revealing information in the character's backstory at strategic times rather than creating action out of things that the characters want to do if that makes sense so it's all oh suddenly we find out that she's pregnant suddenly we find out that he's her ex suddenly we find out this suddenly we find out that this happened in their past it's all too kind of passive and to do with revealing their past rather than the present of the actual film and where they are which is i guess quite an easy move to make if you're really delving into your character's backstories which is great but yeah it just meant that it felt like oh okay she's pregnant okay she doesn't look pregnant okay and we're supposed to believe that in the time since she told him that she was pregnant and she broke up he also found a new girlfriend who also yeah to be fair was his ex-girlfriend but they also managed to shoehorn her into the wedding and everything like all that stuff felt like it logically would have happened on a much larger time scale whereas she could have only been like a few months pregnant because she wasn't showing so that was kind of a logic hole that just didn't really work at all and that made the the storytelling mode of you know character stuff reveal just fall flat for me so I, I think the the timeline didn't bother me too much because I think they mentioned that it's two months and a lot can happen in two months. Right. Um, I and from that. And from what I understand, um, he the 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 new girlfriend that he has his his new old girlfriend um, was already a, a effectively part of their friendship group and part of their family so much so that she stepped up to become maid of honor when Anne yeah. Kendrick t- like stepped away from that role. So I, I can understand that more. I didn't have a problem with that. I think the main problem with me was, for me, was the way that they kind of revealed the information. So I think that the most, the most egregious example of it, um, and I hope you're proud of my use of the word egregious there. <laughs> yes, um, very good. Was uh, when uh, Tony Revolori um, says dope, it is... Dope name. Uh, he's he's a great great fella. I, I love that that man. Um, but uh, when when he just kind of announces that his dad's dead, and you're like, oh, sad. Yeah. We've got the sads now. The movie's of course, everyone to has to everyone has to have some sad shit in their past. Why can't he just be a horny teenager? Although to be fair, they made him into a horny teenager in such a disgusting tropish way that you're kind of glad when you hear about the dad's death because it distracts from it, and it's inevitable you know very very lump and terrible conclusion where of course he goes up to the girl and says he has a huge penis and makes a fool of himself ha 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 yes well i i i i didn't have a problem with that but i had a problem with his initial like the idea that you're supposed to be on his side when he goes up to this table and kind of asks this young girl hey do you want to go have a dance and then doesn't really disappear 
um the the idea that you're supposed to be on his side at that point is kind of taken away so much so that i think like the the hidden hero of this movie is the guy at this table where this young girl's sitting who kind of steps in and is like yeah no you're not going to get a dance mate just leave her be because i'm going to call your mother yeah and and he's like the hidden hero because he has no relation to this girl sitting at the table at all but he's kind of just like okay don't worry we'll make sure that this creep isn't a creep for the entire wedding and you can have fun in other ways it's like fair play dude that's nice of you yeah he's he's that guy's character i want to know much more about that guy's backstory than any of the other characters whose backstories were investigated in a boring way i would like to see another 18 table movies where they look (laughs) at the other tables in this film oh Um, man because i think much like love and other drugs you've got these minor characters which are vaguely interesting where you're like oh i'd like to learn more about that like the way that anna kendrick's character explains the way that they set up the tables where they've got like the the eligible bachelors and then the awful bachelors on tables together so like they're Mm. they're keeping the they've got the people together who they're like oh yeah these people could possibly get together and then they've got the like the horrible sleazy scumbags all on the same table (laughs) yeah and like i'd love to learn more about the various different tables and these kind of little little mini cliques that they've got that they deliberately set up together yeah like the the thuggish man who works in beer and wine distribution who makes a fool of stephen merchant that that scene I, i i did laugh at that yeah yeah i'm not made of stone and there there are little moments in it that really work quite well um even little sort of like bits of cinema uh cinematic flair um like where they cut to um daryl and lisa kudrow's um diner they run a diner together um and every so often they cut back to there and they show them doing dinery stuff and and that was all quite pretty and it kind of showed their relationship quite well without talking about it too much and i think that was another problem with the movie in general was there was too much describing things and not enough showing us it was very yeah tell not show too much description not enough action yeah where were the explosions (laughs) i wanted where was nicholas cage where was i wanted nicholas cage (laughs) to come in saying somewhere in this building we've got abraham lincoln's head and I must bring it back to Washington. Um, and then it's under one of these tables. Let yes. me check all of them individually. It's under table, table one. 19. And then he looks at the camera. <laughs> and then the voiceover comes on Nicholas Cage. <laughs> Nicholas Cage. Um, yeah, I, I want that movie. But I, I think like there was, it was very close to doing something interesting and i think like there was enough and it kept having these moments where you're like oh is this where it's going to get interesting it's like no it's not um and that happened sort of like over and over again the comparison with love and other drugs as a, a film that we've also watched for this podcast is very apt actually because it suffered from i think the same problem of just being distracted by describing the wrong things rather than giving us the genuine the genuine meat of the drama it, it kind of, yeah, it had the same problem almost. Although it wasn't as long. It didn't drag itself out too much. Well, yeah, this movie's like under 90 minutes. Yeah. It's a it's a short it, film. 
It was two minutes shorter than Mulan, which I also watched on the same day. <laughs> oh, there we go. Well, that's why you were disappointed. You walked it alongside Mulan. I know. Um, inside, inside my head, I'm going, You must be swift as a corset river. Of all the strength the of a great typhoon. All the heat of a raging fire. Mysterious as the dark side of the moon. Which is one of the best Disney songs. Yeah, I think it's the best Disney song. I have to do the falsetto on the high bit. I will I will disagree with you there because <laughs> um the entirety of Aladdin is the best Disney song. That's good. We we went um earlier this month to see the West End show for oh, really? my mother in law's birthday. It was great. It's oh, very excellent. very, very good. The genie is the same genie from off of Broadway. He's great. Oh, excellent. Yeah, I want to I want to go see that actually. I'm a big I'm a big fan of Aladdin. It's yep. undoubtedly my favourite of the Disney films. Yeah, um, the diamond in the rough. <laughs> it is the diamond in the rough. Um, yeah, Table 19, shorter than a Disney movie. Yeah, needed more songs. Yep. Needed, needed more genies. Needed more um, strength training montages. Needed more of the dark side of the moon. Yeah, more Huns. Yeah. Um, it needed to get down to business to defeat the Hun. <laughs> yeah, which coincidentally is the name of the new Cleveland baseball team. <laughs> what are they gonna? Um, yeah, what, what what possibly more horrible names could they come up with that aren't over? What that aren't obviously unbelievably offensive? Uh, I don't know. Are the the football team is called the Browns. Yeah, the Cleveland Browns. Like, is is that racist, or is it referring to mud or poo or something? Like I don't know where that comes from. <laughs> I like, don't know. What's that supposed I to mean? I don't know. Um, let's have a little search on this. I don't. I don't. I, I'm a hockey man. I think. Yeah, hockey's great. Which obviously has its own occasional racist problems. Yep, we um, got the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> pretty. Yeah, that's basically the same as the Cleveland Indians, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I'm going to search why are the Cleveland Browns called the Cleveland Browns? And you've got the Cavaliers. That's okay. They they should... Um, <laughs> the autocorrect for this is why are the Cleveland Browns so bad? <laughs> well, obviously, yeah. How NFL teams got their nicknames. CNN has got a thing here. Thank you, CNN, for your fake news. There's some debate about whether Cleveland's professional football franchise was named after its first coach and general manager, Paul Brown, or after boxer Joe Lewis, who was nicknamed the Brown Bomber. Okay. Uh, Team Uh, owner Mickey McBride conducted a fan contest in 1945 and the most popular submission was Browns. According to one version of the story, Paul Brown vetoed the nickname and chose Panthers instead, but a local businessman informed the team that he owned the rights to the name Cleveland Panthers. Brown ultimately agreed to the use of his name and Browns stuck. Was the guy who owned the Cleveland Panthers literally a guy who owned some Panthers? (laughs) It was a panther in a suit. We're talking about the era when the American dream was a real thing, Paddy. Any human yeah. or giant cat could go to America 
and become a hugely successful business person or business cat. But I heard that there were no cats in America and that the streets were paved with cheese. (laughs) Oh, dear. Uh, um, anyway, yes. Table 19 I was very disappointed in Tony Revolori's performance Because I had not seen him in anything Apart from the Grand Budapest Hotel In which he is fantastic And I knew that he was a young actor Waiting to bloom And I feel like he I still feel like he has a bright future ahead of him But I felt in this film that he was punching down that, Although it's, you know, it's the role that he was, was He didn't write it, obviously But his performance of it was fine It's just such a terrible role like, why did he do it? It's obviously rubbish. Oh, yeah. I think, like, there's a lot of potential behind the film, isn't there? Um, yeah. And I think that yeah, would I probably think be enough to... I'm kind of more cynical about films where there's wasted potential than if they're just straight-up shit, aren't I? Like, I'm more frustrated by films where you felt like they could have done something great quite easily but chose not to for whatever reason. I think I was hard on Love and Other Drugs for that reason as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas I'm more like, if a movie doesn't set out to do something interesting, I'm going to rip it a new one. I think yeah. is a, that that's the different ways that we come at it. It's that I want my movies to at least try and do something interesting. With, so this one, you're like, oh, well, at least you tried. Yeah, you, you get, <laughs> you know, it's a participation trophy for me. <laughs> Which is yeah. going to drive the alt-right mad that I believe in participation trophies. <laughs> yeah. Everyone gets a trophy. Yeah, this movie gets a trophy for trying to do... Having an interesting concept. The loser table at the wedding. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I meant to ask after off the back of this, but did you have that kind of... Obviously not that kind of horrible a, a, a table plan because you and Claire are lovely, but did you have like... Uh, did you think very much about where you had to place people? Oh yeah, it was um, it was an interesting task. I think we didn't have it as difficult as some people, but still harder than some. There's always like you get to it and you're like, yes, I've solved it, and then there's like one or two people kind of left over. But we had, <laughs> you'll remember this, we we had like one kind of main room where all the tables were, and they were all quite close together. Like in terms of the room in table nineteen was huge. So our room was not huge and all of the tables were pretty close together and there was like an overflow room. It's an old mock Tudor hotel, quite small. And there was like a a back room with a big table and we were like, let's put all of like our university friends in there so they can be drunk and rowdy away from our families. (laughs) (laughs) Which worked very well, I think. Yeah, you were in that room, right? No, I was in the main room. No, you were in the main room. Yeah, Um, that's right. Yeah, I remember now. Yeah, because all of the... the, um, the ushers and bridesmaids were in the main room. Yeah. Yep. That's um, right. So then, I think I think we did it well. There weren't any table nineteens, mainly because I think we only had ten. But but there wasn't a like miscellaneous people table. Yeah, yeah. I'd say yeah. I I was just interested to see the way that you put it, and I think it did very well putting all of the all of the the party and partying kids off in their own little separate bit. Yeah, um, but as as someone who in you know last year had to do a table plan, I was very very interested in the concept of this film and to see how it would deal with it. But there wasn't enough of them doing the table plan for me. I wanted to see them really getting down to it and going like, "Oh, your aunt's got to go here. Your nan's got to go here." No way. I want I wanted it to be like that. We can't have that aunt next to that aunt because they will literally try and stab each other. 
Yeah, I wanted to know about all of that. I wanted it to be like a, a New Year's Eve style ensemble cast, proper, like, you get three seconds of each character and that's it kind of film. Gary Marshall should have done it and it should have been all about the wedding planning process. And I think, like, I'm going to hate myself for saying this, but that would actually be a really interesting movie. It's <laughs> if it had focused on more people for a shorter amount of time and just been like a farcical wedding movie. Yeah. Um, because it, in terms of like films about weddings, I was pondering this while we were watching it. There are a lot of films that are focused on wedding stuff, like the wedding planner, the wedding date and whatever. Um, and... There, but you never get one that's just about kind of the the event itself and this was the the first film i think i've seen where it really focused on the event but then it didn't and it didn't know what it wanted to focus on whereas if it did focus on the event and the day itself you could have used that as like a really good plot device but this, but instead it seemed to have a really really confusing timeline where the first dance was before the speeches in the middle of the afternoon and before anyone had eaten yeah and Ah, it, it, you're completely right in that it would have been really nice if they, I think I was disappointed because when I watched the trailer, there's this little throwaway line of like, this wedding plan can't tell us where we've got to sit. And I was thinking like, yeah, in this movie, they're going to get pissed off about the fact they've all been put on the rubbish table and they're going to go fuck shit up. And they're going to go over to the other tables and be like, I hate you, table two. You guys are just a (laughs) bunch of brown noses. You all voted for Brexit, that kind of thing. But instead, (laughs) they kind of just get a bit sad and wander off and go and smoke some pot and then wander off to a lake. Yeah, and there is a moment when it's palpable. Like, they all seem angry for her when they find out that she's pregnant with his baby. And then you're like, yes, it's going to turn into a a revenge film. They're going to kick the cake. They're going to murder someone. They're going to, you know, walk around all the tables and try and pull the tablecloths off. You know, like when someone does it like a magic trick and all the stuff stays there, but it doesn't stay there. They're going to kick the band off the stage and start playing some, you know, Dimmu Borgir or something, you know. (laughs) It, genuinely, I felt like it was about to turn into a really hardcore revenge film, and then it didn't. They all just went and smoked pot instead. Yeah. Because, of course, the grandma's got pot. Because, ha-ha, the grandma's got pot. Lol. Imagine if an old lady smoked pot. Ha-ha, but, isn't that funny? But then it goes down the sad route, because she's only got pot because she's got cancer. Yeah, of course. And it's like... And again, uh, yeah, shoehorning in sadness to try and give it depth. It's the same actually, the same thing that Love and Other Drugs tried to do, didn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, the grandma had spina bifida and there is no cure. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, not the, the, the nanny, not the nanny. Yeah. Uh, she's the nanny, not the gram, grandma. Nanny, nanny Joe. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just like... Yeah, you know. Yeah, like eh, don't really care. And the thing with her being pregnant was revealed at the wrong time. It's like she—if they'd have actually shown that at the very beginning, like shown her like struggling to fit into her dress or something—and then made it just about that and her relationship with him and how they deal with that—that that would have been fine. That would have been a good film. That's good drama. All of that stuff and all that you could have still have had a little bit of fun with all the peripheral characters. But instead, there were just like a few scenes between them where, and uh, to be fair, Wyatt, Wyatt Russell's acting was pretty ropey. Although maybe that, maybe they told him to act like a real dope, but he just came across as a kind of absolute moron. 
And you just thought, why should I invest anything in this guy? He's obviously well foolish. Yeah. And and I, I've seen him in 22 Jump Street, and he's very funny in that. And he was in um, Everybody Wants Some, the, the Richard Linklater baseball film. And in that, he was sensationally funny. So you know, yeah. I'm sure he's a very, very good actor. So I think it's more of a, this is a bad film, rather than a, he's not... Um, not a good actor. Um, yeah, yeah, and and it's a shame because it's kind of he's kind of underused and his strengths are kind of underused. Mm. Um, because anyone who comes from Kurt Russell's bloodline, um, you know that there's some talent in there. Yeah, that is a that is a bloodline of the gods right there. Kurt Russell and Goldie Horn. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so yeah, it's it. It kind of doesn't use its cast well. And that's another problem with it. It's like, you've got some really funny and really touching actors in this movie. Yeah. But they're not utilised effectively. Um, and you've got those kind of mis misused moments as well. So one of the weirdest things is the weird, the random Australian guy who's at the wedding. Oh, yeah. Who, like... There's a little bit of flirting between him and Anna Kendrick, and you're like, oh, I see where this is going, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then he sort of turns up again, and they have a kiss, and they had a little dance, and it's like, oh, okay. Um, but then it's revealed that he's actually getting married in the next wedding. He's the groom of the other yeah. wedding that's happening in the same building. And then again, you're like, oh, okay, maybe this is going to turn into some kind of mad, crazy, the two weddings crossover film, and you know, there's going to be some kind of really cool, intricate plot between the two, but nope. He looks at her while he's get, he's like being taken off by his other bride, and that's it. That yeah. that plot that plot line is a dead end. And then Stephen oh, Merchant okay. steals their cake to take it to the other wedding. Yeah, which is a nice moment. Actually. Yeah, which is a which is a good little fun moment. Um, but it's yeah, the, it, there's all these setups. This movie is full of Chekhov's guns, but yeah. all of them are firing blanks. There's and lots of guns that are falling about all over the place and none of them get fired. Yeah. And it's it's just a shame. There was a lot of potential here. And I think the first, like, half an hour, I was like, yeah, okay, I can see where this is going to go. Or, like, I can imagine where this might go and it might be quite interesting. But it never really capitalised on that. And it kind of just, even though it was only 87 minutes long, it felt like it was longer than it was. Yeah, it felt very, very long. I think films that lead you down paths and then don't, and then like suddenly divert for him from from the film films that you know when two films diverge in a yellow wood, <laughs> those kind of films. Yeah, they always feel a lot longer than they are. I, I was disappointed because I, I got this recommended to me, and I was like, oh yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, but yeah, I was I, I wasn't as keen on it as I wish I had been. Well, I did enjoy the gag of Lisa Kudrow being dressed the same as the waiters. That was there was some good comedy mileage <laughs> yeah. in that. And yeah, I think I kind of wish the movie had primarily focused on her and um, and Daryl from The Office. Mm. I think that would have been quite cool. That um, could have been a really, really interesting sort of exploration of love in middle age. Actually, yeah, that could and, have been an amazing film. And and Craig Robinson is a really good actor. I really like him. He is him. 
hilarious. Um, and uh, and and there was this chemistry between them, this kind of friction, but at the same time, that obvious kind of love, where you really got on board with them being a, a disinterested married couple. Um, yeah. But again, they weren't really utilized effectively, um, and sort of the the emotional story strokes that they got didn't really fit well, and you no. kind of were just left wanting more from both of them. Um, and I think they they Definitely. did better than I think they did better than anybody else with the material they got. Um, not that they got better material, but I think they <laughs> did more with it than the others. Um, they got slightly better material just because it was more based on the the drama of intimacy, which to me was more interesting than whether Tony Revolori is going to tell the girl he has a big penis or not. Yeah, because like. I don't really know what what I I love him, but I don't know what he added to the film. He added absolutely nothing to the film other than some incredibly cheap, crass humour to get it up from eighty five minutes to eighty seven minutes. <laughs> um, yeah, and like I don't know. Yeah, it didn't really didn't really add a lot to the film. The the nanny added a little bit to the movie. She she provided the the spina bifida moment. Yeah, that's got to be done in in every film. The the emotional I'm the emotional manipulation. Well, actually, Tommy Wiseau did it first in the room, didn't he? With um, Lisa's mother, who goes, you know, oh, and I'm dying. It's like it's like that. <laughs> yeah, but but she also provided like an early structural framework, um, as sort of like a character. And I, and I think if it had been better executed, the bait and switch of her being the kindly nanny who's supposed to be like the stable one on the table and then her being one of the most reckless by the end i think that could have been done very well um, yeah there were some enjoyable moments in there and i think she did have good chemistry with anna kendrick so the moments when she was going to like comfort her and talk to her and be the, the kind of wise older figure did actually work yeah yeah i think so um but i think Anna Kendrick was one of the reasons why this movie didn't work so well as well. Um, yeah. I didn't think she was that great in this. I'm not too... Did you think someone else could have done better with such a lumpen film? Yeah, I lumpen think so. I, I think so. I think someone else could have done a better job of it. Um, it wasn't helped by the fact that her character is quite inactive. But yeah, there needed more fire from a performance i think and even with the material provided i think that would have been enough to propel it along quite a lot um mm. but even in the sort of like the moments where it could have been the most powerful so when she's having that discussion with with kurt russell jr or when she's shouting at a boat and the horns going off um see that that scene i really liked that as a climactic scene really really worked and on its own was very, very strong. If you saw that as a kind of... If you saw that in, like, your, your film class as a an, an example of a climactic scene in a romance, you'd be like, yeah, that's good. She's she's getting it all out. She's saying how she feels. She's pulling all the plot things together. It's great. It's a big romantic gesture. That's great. But because it hadn't spent enough time and enough energy into actually developing their relationship and their backstory beyond kind of describing the facts to you, you were just like, oh, whatever, she's yelling at a boat. Yeah. Um, but I think, like, if you'd given this movie to uh, 
for instance, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Ah. I think that would have been a really someone with a bit more fire to their to their performance. Interesting. I think that would have made it a much more interesting film, and I think it would have worked a lot better. I'm not sure whether Anna Kendrick was the right choice, and I know that the director had worked with her before, etc. But right. I think maybe that would have made it more more interesting to watch, and you would have got more but- involved in the character. Because I did wonder about that, but I couldn't think of anyone else who could have done a better job with such a lumpen script. But yeah, you're right. Someone like Mary Elizabeth Winstead or any other woman from the cast of Scott Pilgrim, which they were both in. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, Alison Pill. Yeah, yeah, for instance. Oh, man. Um, She'd any, been great. Anyone where you think that they could like, they might turn around and just punch someone. I think <laughs> that kind of character would have worked. That that kind of person would have worked really well as this character. If they've got that yeah. kind of, you know, way where you would expect them to be a bit angry. Because the character has every right to be angry in this situation, but instead is pushed down the route of being a bit depressed and being a bit mopey, which is kind of understandable given the circumstances. But to help propel the script and keep your viewers invested, you need more agency. Yes, it leads the the pushing her towards depression leads her to passivity, and then when she finally gets the agency, it's too late because it's eighty minutes in. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, it could have could have done with a bit of that, I think. Yeah, Stephen Merchant's character also didn't really add that much. There are a couple of sort of funnyish moments, like when he gets the cake and stuff. But mostly I felt like his character was tropish and crude. And it's like it was a bit slightly mocking the mentally ill and or kind of making comedy out of what you might have perceived as, I don't know, being a bit autistic or that kind of thing. And it was a bit like, Stephen Merchant, you're very, very funny. You're a very good stand-up. Why do you keep playing these kind of British geek characters that are like unflattering versions of yourself? I don't get why he does it. Well, I didn't necessarily think of it as mocking like the mentally ill or anything like that. I thought it was just he's an awkward Englishman who kind of got duped, which is the kind of character that he normally plays. Yeah. Um and I think I think it could have been handled better. Um and like I didn't really care for the explanation of why he'd been in prison. Um either. he stole lots of money. He stole lots of money to give it to his friend who he thought's wife was dying but then he was just being scammed. And it's kind of, it's all given away in one sentence, and you're like, well, that's a lot of information to deal with in one sentence. Yeah. Um, It's huge. And again, the backstory of that might have been interesting in its own right. It could have been a very, very interesting film. But it was just like, yeah, he's the geek. Ha ha. Yeah, and instead it's kind of like, oh, okay, he's a bit of a sweetheart, but also a bit of a nerd who's not very good around people. And not very good at reading people. It's like, oh, so he's Stephen Merchant then. Okay. <laughs> but Stephen Merchant's writing on the original Office was good. His stand-up is sensational. He's, yeah, he's. they think he's a real talent. And if you ever listen to, obviously, I don't like Ricky Gervais anymore. And I think we've talked about how he's a bloated fool. But on his original XFM podcast with him and Stephen Merchant and Carl Pilkington, some of that stuff is so funny unbelievably funny yeah i think he's a really funny guy um it's just a shame that he's not utilized properly yeah 
And again, that's the, like most of things in this film, it just wasn't utilized properly and left me properly and left me feeling frustrated. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that's the main takeaway from this is that it is it's quite frustrating. You can see where it could have gone and where it could have succeeded, but there's just missteps every so often. And I think there was missteps from the day it was conceived through to the day it was released. Yeah, it seems seems like it had a hard road. Yeah, so I um, wrote down a line that I did find very very funny though, which is that when the the nanny reveals that she's got the weed, um, she's she says to oh, you guys can come, but then he says to Anna Kendrick, who's pregnant, and Tony Revelory, who's under eight, underage, she goes, "You two can drop by and choose something from the mini fridge." Yeah, that was good. That that tickled me. And, and there are those little moments that work very well. Um, there, there's enough in here to to keep it interesting, you know? Um, yeah. But it's just, yeah, it falls short of what it could have been. Yeah, and then you get the towards the very end, the bride and groom come up to each of them in turn and say one one line that, of course, very, very neatly ties up the loose ends or the, their perceived injustice with the bride and groom. Oh hi, cousin Walter. I like you really. Oh hi, Nana. Yeah, I didn't lose. I was. I did love the toy that you got me, but I lost it, so I felt bad. You know, it's all like, oh yeah, all with the wider context of the wedding has to be wrapped up. So here you go, bride and groom. Quick, done. Tick. Move on to the shouty speech. Yeah, and and it's a shame because again, that could have been used quite well. Um, if it was like spread out, and it seems as though a lot of this movie, the issues do come from the scripting and the pacing. Whereas, like, if yeah. each of them had initially... You have that first half hour where they're really angry, but then, like, one by one they slip away. They go off to eat some pigs in blankets, and then they get talking with someone else who's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, she lost it, but then she got given a new one by her brother. And then you're like, oh, okay, so he's not a total doofus. He's quite a sweet yeah. kid. That kind of thing. And so they could have slowly turned the tables, but instead they tried to do the big reveal that he's actually a nice guy. But it's like... And they did uh, that based on literally five words from the bride and groom, and then suddenly they all changed their mind and immediately run, literally run to tell her that he's okay and she should have the baby and get back together with him. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's not... You know. <laughs> It's ridiculous. Um, and, and the whole thing about the baby, it like, you kind of need a compelling main character in a film. But like the description of how she treated him over their situation doesn't really endear you to her. Maybe and she's it, the baby after all. Yeah, maybe... Maybe she is the only one who deserved to be on table 19 after all of this. <laughs> um, you're a baby. You're a baby. <laughs> she should have gone off to become an actress and not give yeah. up else Ryan Gosling tell her off for being a baby. Yeah. He should have just appeared, come and sat down at the table and pointed at her and gone, you're a baby. And then we'll <laughs> Oh, no. And then him and Nicolas Cage obviously find Abraham Lincoln's head and then save them all from drowning on the boat. Yeah, I'd I'd watch that. That would have been a vast improvement. Yeah, that would have been that would have been brilliant. Um, but alas, instead, that did not happen. 
It did not. Instead, I look. I'm just looking at my notes here. The very, very last note says, "Stupid coder, nobody cares." <laughs> <laughs> Which refers to the fact that, of course, you have to have a little kind of. Is it a year later, two years later, or whatever? When they're, of course, they're getting married, and it's their wedding, and they've got the baby, and it's named after the nanny who died, and you have to see the cute baby because cute babies are cute. And it's even though it's sad that the nanny died of the sad disease, the cute baby's cute, so it's all okay. The end. Yeah, and it's like, but then they mention that he forgets the baby in the house, and you're like, well, maybe these people shouldn't have had this child together. Yeah. Who forgets the baby? David Cameron forgets the baby. That's who forgets the uh, baby. This, <laughs> this is true. I mean, he he also forgot to not make literally the worst decision that anyone has ever made in politics since the Second World War and, you know, take us into a disastrous referendum at, to appease a very, very small faction of right-wing people in his party. But, you know, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> it all comes around to Brexit. David Cameron, you are worse than Table 19. Yeah, it's it's difficult to really care much about the main character. And like some of the the side characters are interesting, but overall you feel like it's a concept that could have been better explored. I'm just going to get up the scores so that I'm sure... I, so that I can just check that you aren't going to score this lower than the bridges of Madison County. <laughs> <laughs> or should should I say higher? No, this will. I I I'm gonna give this a better score than the bridges of Madison County. Are you? Yeah. I don't think I don't know if I am. But you love um, the bridges of Madison County. I know it's my it's my favorite film of all time. You go to sleep every night just repeating over and over again. Fuck on the linoleum. Fuck on the linoleum. <laughs> I go to, I go outside. If it's raining, I go outside and I cry in the rain. If it's not <laughs> raining, I ask the upstairs neighbors to pour a bucket of water out of the out of the window on me what? and then I cry in that. Whilst you're wearing your pajamas. Whilst I'm wearing my pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. So how are we going to rate this? Or could it be out of 19? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't deserve the possibility of getting a 20. No, out- what ta- How many tables would there be at, at your fake rubbish wedding? <laughs> yeah, which which table would you put this movie on? Which table would I put? There out- we go, that's it. Yeah. This movie makes it as far as table 8. Table 8. Say, out of 20. Out of 19, yeah. <laughs> um, I'll give this a 19, no. Um, I'll give it a <laughs> an 11 out of out of 20. Um, I, en- okay. I enjoyed the concept. I thought it started really strongly, um, but then I wanted more from it. I either wanted it to become an absolute farce where people were throwing cake at each other and, like, forcing the kids to smoke pot and stuff like that and being all like we're gonna ruin your wedding you put us on the bad table you bastards um or i wanted it or i wanted it to go down that they all go on a nice like actual nice like hiking trip around and they're like i don't care about this wedding anymore and then they all find solace there really was an element of that wasn't there? like when they all kind of were standing outside they'd all they'd all got outside for a little walk and it's all a bit quiet and they're walking in the trees you're like 
okay, you guys could all just go on holiday together and it would be really nice and I'd be interested in your friendships developing. But no, it has to come back to her silly, sad baby plot. Yeah, and and so, yeah, I wanted it to go one way or the other, but instead it kind of stuck to a kind of sad middle ground. Um, But I, yeah. I appreciated the concept. I thought there was potential there. And I like a movie with potential. Yeah, definitely. So it was fair. Can you remember what you what score you gave the Bridges of Madison County? Oh, I think it was like a seven, wasn't it? It was a yeah. seven. Good memory, as I gave it a ten. So, so, so uh, where does this stand? Where does Table Nineteen stand? Has it scored better? It's averaged out at a nine point five, so it has scored better overall because the Bridges of Madison County averaged out at an eight point five. Uh, I've still my, got my about unbelievably low score. <laughs> I've still got about six films to add to the the scores, but I still think the lowest scoring so far is the Twilight Saga, which oh, yeah. averaged out six point five. Um, oh no, no, it's William and Kate the movie. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I'm genuinely shocked. But you know, that's funny because the- I definitely rewatch William and Kate the movie over the Twilight Saga. <laughs> yes, me too. Um, but it's, it's not just about rewatch rewatch potential, isn't yeah, it? That's just true. one thing in the the Big Boys algorithm. So, so Anna Kendrick does not have a good record with Big Boys Don't Cry, does she? No, I guess not. Although we haven't done Pitch Perfect, and I like her in that. I, I like her in Scott Pilgrim. I um, I did not make it very far through Pitch Perfect when I tried to watch it. So I, really, I can't imagine that that would do that well for me. It's it's um, silly. It has a similar kind of silliness to as Bridesmaids. It's yeah, it's yeah. enjoyable. Yeah, I was well, not that, I was not That's asking. on our list then. <laughs> also up in the air is vaguely about romance, isn't it? Not seeing that. That's a that's a that's a good film. Um but yeah. Yeah, so she's not done that well so far. No. With us. I I I still feel like I like her though. Yeah, it's she's one of those people where I've not really seen her in very much where I like it, but in general I still like her, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that's like Nicolas Cage. <laughs> I love <laughs> Nicolas Cage. I love, <laughs> I, I love everything that Nicolas Cage has been in. Yeah, give me, give me that, um, give me that Wicker Man remake. <laughs> yeah, of course. That's that's very very romantic. <laughs> Um, speaking of William and Kate the movie have you seen the news that there's oh I know you've seen it because we tweeted about it There's they're rushing uh, like Harry and Meghan Markle film into production that's going to be out very very soon and I'm sure it'll be just as good because it's being made by the same people as William and Kate the movie so I am yes. here for that get it get it in me um, can they get Meghan Markle to play herself she is an actress <laughs> after all that would seem the obvious choice wouldn't it I mean, yeah, I mean that would be amazing. It might distract her a little bit from the from the whole preparing for a wedding thing, but <laughs> they're they're rich. They have people to do that for them. Yeah, come on, you can do it, Megan. We believe in you. Pull your finger out. <laughs> <laughs> so when that rolls around, we have to do that. But you also suggested the idea of the royal wedding cinematic universe, which I think is the most genius invention ever. Yeah. So So we now have to find more films that feature royal weddings and see how we can fit them all together. So there's those. There's obviously A Christmas Prince. There's The Prince and Me, which we need to talk about at some point, because I love Julia Stiles. 
yeah i think there's a lot out there isn't there but yeah um there's a royal christmas the princess diaries young victoria oh man you've got the king and i slash anna and the king Mm -hmm. although they're a bit more serious um marie antoinette which oh yeah we've we've done that yeah the other berlin girl the most factually accurate movie (laughs) of all time of all time so yeah there's 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 and and then they all get together in the avengers at the end all these princes (laughs) and princesses the royal wedding avengers yeah they all come together to take down the evil fence Prince Philip demon. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, At the end of the um, the Harry and and Meghan movie, after the credits, there's a post-credit scene where the Christmas prince turns up and is like, "I need you to come with me. We're going to find a cure for spina bifida." (laughs) And then, like, a, a dramatic theme plays, and this little logo comes down with like a super crown with crowns coming off it. And they're all working hard to find the cure, which is held in some kind of essence in a stone somewhere at the bottom of the ocean. And it's it, so that it's, they need to find the prince who can breathe underwater. Yeah, it's being protected by people who believe in democracy. And they're like, "You, we can't let this cure out. You won't be able yeah. to stop us, would-be monarchs. We uh, believe you have in to fair give us and the equal cure. treatment." Ah. <laughs> it's the will of the people. <laughs> You have no mandate here, royals. <laughs> so, yeah, the contributions to the Royal Wedding Cinematic Universe gratefully received. Email us, bigboysdon'tcrypodcast at gmail.com. Tweet us at bigboysdon'tpod. We're here for that. Yes, yeah. We want your help with this. We're going to make it big. Yeah. Bigger than the nation of Aldovia. <laughs> <laughs> Of course. In terms of, you know, just genuine size and scale, in terms of the set, the film set needed to create it will be bigger than Aldovia. For certain. So, my choice next. As um, talking to a friend of the podcast, Adam Molesky, um, earlier today, and he suggested a very recent film, but that is available to watch on the digital streaming channels, uh, which is God's Own Country. Have you seen this? I have not, no. It's um, it's also a gay romance, which is good because we haven't discussed any non-heterosexual romances since Cloudburst, which was a few episodes ago. So um, apparently it's very, very good. It's up for lots of awards. It looks a little bit bleak, but still very interesting. So I'm very interested to see it. Yeah, I saw the trailers for it in our local art house cinema. Um, and uh, yeah, it looked very interesting. Um, we didn't get around to seeing it when it was showing there, but um, yeah interested to watch it yeah i wanted to see it i didn't get around to it so yeah seems good it was it was gonna be that or um i was gonna suggest valentine's day but really we're too late because it's well we're recording this on monday the 12th it's gonna be valentine's day this wednesday before the um table 19 episode comes out so we've missed the boat haven't we we have and what a shame we don't get to watch valentine's day I know what because what's really really good in filmmaking is an ensemble cast of loads of stories that sort of link up, but they don't really go anywhere because that's like realistic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, definitely. I think I'm going to quickly check, but I don't think the Ephronator's even in it. 
Oh, you what, mate? Oh, no, I've just Googled Valentine's Day the day. <laughs> <laughs> it has got Julia Roberts in it, Jamie Foxx, Anne Hathaway. Oh, Anne Hathaway. Um, uh, Jessica Alba, Jessica Biel, Kathy Bates. Oh, Wolf Boy Taylor Lautner is in it. That's how I remember. Okay, I'm, oh. I'm excited about it now. Ashton Kutcher Taylor is Swift in, in her film debut. Ashton Kutcher. I wonder if he plays a grumpy comics artist. <laughs> does um does Taylor Swift's performance initially seem promising, then get a bit sort of mainstream and standard, and then completely go down the shitter? Yep, she's unable to shake it off, <laughs> and she then caused too much bad blood. Also, this film just seems to have the names of lots of people whose name I know and have heard lots of times but have no idea who they are. Patrick (laughs) Dempsey. Oh, Patrick Dempsey. Carter Jenkins. Eric Dane. Topher Grace. No idea. Topher Grace. Who are are all these people? Oh, Patrick Dempsey was Grey's Anatomy, wasn't he? I never saw that. Um, he He was Handsome McDoctor. (laughs) <laughs> handsome mcdoctor gray's anatomy always looked to me like a serious reimagining of scrubs so i was always like fuck that shit <laughs> well yeah gray's and gray's anatomy was basically just like er meets like doctors from bbc wasn't it oh, yeah <laughs> whereas and, you like, know more... er er is only a little bit of a step up from holby city which is the most boring show on earth <laughs> what i love is that america had er and then the uk's version was just called casualty and it's like <laughs> oh please <laughs> yeah it's like the the knockoff brand at the supermarket <laughs> yeah tesco's own brand flakes <laughs> Oh dear. Which is what I eat for breakfast. You know who loves casualty? Who? The the gammon. The gammon loves casualty. Oh, I bet they do. I bet they love Holby City. Yeah. They they watch Casualty, Holby and Doctors all in the same day. God damn it. These people. If our American listeners are wondering what the hell we're talking about, <laughs> don't go and look it up because you'll only be disappointed. <laughs> Yeah, you're just like, what is this shit? Well, I thought I thought Grey's Anatomy was bad. What is this rubbish? Um, speaking of things that aren't rubbish, though, um, I know that you are a fan of the John Krasinski. I certainly am. Um, He's my main man. And uh, there's another trailer has been released for A Quiet Place uh, as of today. Um, I have not heard of this. Which is his... He's directing a movie... Um, it is a horror movie with Emily Blunt um, and it looks like there's lots of monsters and people cool. have to be very quiet that sounds great Emily Blunt is his, his lady wife yes um, and yeah it looks it looks pretty awesome not gonna lie um, that sounds wicked yeah um, it looks it looks really good and I love a bit of John Krasinski and I love a little bit of Emily Blunt as well I think she's really good yeah they're both very very good um, so yeah so check that out if you like your scary movies and you like your romance movies because it it's it looks like uh, it might be quite creepy should we should we have it in the halloween this year well i don't know if it's going to be romantic or not all oh, right okay 
Um, if it ends up being vaguely romantic, then yes, we can add it. Well, that's fine then, because the third Fifty Shades film comes out on Wednesday. So, you know, that's three films out of four that we can do when it when October rolls around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, the, the BBC review of Fifty Shades Freed said that it has all the vapidity of a Kardashian TV show overseen by Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> <laughs> that made me want to watch it. I know. I, I tweeted it from the account just being like, "Yeah, that's a that's a film that we would watch." <laughs> that is extremely our shit. <laughs> that that's peak brand for us. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I kind of want to see it, but maybe we could we could just do the first one when October rolls around. Yeah. Or before, if you're feeling kinky. Well, I think maybe we could we could do a, another. Um, super episode where we watch all three of them. If you're up for it, I'm up for it. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd be, I'd do that. Not, a, I think there's enough romantic horror movies to watch to do that again for Halloween. But I think maybe we should surprise our listeners. Yeah, yeah, all of for them sure. At some point. But, I mean, they had to have known that one was coming because obviously it start Fifty Shades started as Twilight fan fiction, and we did the Twilight Saga last year, so we had to do the Fifty Shades Saga as a tribute to the magic of Twilight. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, I think that's about going to do it for us. Do you have any more follow-up? No, um, there was no interesting trivia about Table 19. Oh, what a surprise. (laughs) (laughs) I was hoping there would be, but there isn't. The only other film-related thing I wanted to bring up was, have you seen the minor controversy that's going on about the Peter Rabbit film? <laughs> yes, it made me laugh so much. Um, uh, yeah. Apparently there is a scene in the new Peter Rabbit film which I dismissed as looking terrible having seen the trailer last in last week's episode, apparently where they they know that the farmer is allergic to blackberries so they pelt him with blackberries. Lol. <laughs> Nothing says Peter Rabbit like being a dick to people. With, Nothing with says <laughs> enjoyable, like, you know, twee, austere, old school, like lovely, warm hearted kids film than bullying a person with allergies and maybe making them die. I mean, what's the bet that um, the to get into the role James Corden as a method actor and was just going around throwing peanuts at people with peanut allergies and there's just all these yeah. dead people in hospitals and it's like this is because James Orden wanted to be a serious actor yeah he he had it. he got one of the he went into five guys and stole one of those huge bags of peanuts and he was running running around schools just chucking them everywhere yeah that's because James Corden you're awful how he dare you how could you James <laughs> a deranged criminal <laughs> Going around with that peanut bag over your head, with the eyes cut out, saying, I'm the peanut man! <laughs> throwing the peanut these pe- executioner. <laughs> throwing these peanuts at poor kids. <laughs> going, I've got peanut butter for you, little Jimmy. <laughs> now this sounds like a horror film. <laughs> the peanut man. Instead of the town that dreaded sundown, it's the town that dreaded peanuts. <laughs> oh, on that note thank you so much for tuning in as always we really appreciate it hope you enjoyed table 19 and as always if you have anything you want to share any film related news trivia gossip whatever 
drop us an email bigboysdon'tcrypodcast at gmail.com find us on twitter at bigboysdon'tpod and if you like what we do leave us a review we'll be back next week to talk about God's own country yes yeah, see you then All right. bye bye